This episode is in two parts. Although it's recorded in one linear episode, the first part is with Simon and the second part's with Georgia. Everything that I set myself out at, I would concentrate on being the very, very best I could possibly be. Through being relentless, I, I just wouldn't stop with it. Pressure I was probably putting on my heart was immense. I'm really interested in in your part of this journey as well, because you you um, start going to the gym with your mum, and mm-hmm. and actually you said at the time it was of a time with the thigh gap was a thing. It was all about being super <laughs> yeah. skinny, and and actually even for you this journey was not straightforward and it was kind of like wow okay that change in someone's body can have such a change in how they feel because good people feel guilt yeah it is and it's something that helped me as well when I was feeling guilty like I only feel guilty because I care and if I didn't care I'd be like the people that hurt people Hi, my name's Ella McChrystal and this is The New Mind. Today's guest is Simon Nolan. Now, Simon's interesting for lots of different reasons. Um, He's a body transformation coach. um, And actually, I'm not sure which way around you're going to hear this. It depends which one you listen to first, but I've had Simon's partner, Georgia, on the podcast too. Uh, they are of GS coaching and they do lots of body transformation stuff now. But Simon's journey is very multifaceted, not only in sport, but also in life. And there's going to be lots of um, really interesting parts to Simon's story. So please stay tuned for that. But the bit that um, I kind of want to go in with is the men's health magazine. So Simon was on the front cover of uh, Men's Health magazine, which most of you will know. And and that was kind of like a, a life-changing moment, I think, in many ways, which we're going to find all about now. So welcome, Simon. Welcome. How are you? Good, good, good thank you. <laughs> good. Um, so I mentioned their Men's Health. Yep. Uh, but there's more to you than that. So that was uh, 2013. Yes. You were on the cover of Men's Health magazine. Now, that's some achievement. Yeah, it was a very unexpected achievement as well. Yeah. So, well, tell, tell us why it was unexpected. Unexpected in a sense that it was just my own transformation. I was doing it for me um, and my coach at the time um, over in Nottingham, Mark Coles, was basically kind of just putting me through my paces for 12 weeks, get me into the shape of my life and then kind of just post out a couple of pictures. And then from there, we got contacted by, um, contacted by the magazines and was like, would you like to come down to London and do a shoot? So they literally saw your picture and went, welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our world. Uh, would you head down to Paramount Studios in London and do a shoot for us? So that was that was where we were heading on a train down there. How exciting. So that must have been the first time that you realised, wow, I'm, I'm doing something right here. Yeah, for me, it was, that was a realisation that had probably been through a pretty decent transformation, I guess. Like, yeah. I thought even even though there was like 60 kilos lost in total. Um, 60 so, kilos? Yeah, so it was it was quite – I still hadn't seen that myself mentally yeah. because all I saw myself back was a little bit better off than where I thought I should have been anyway. <laughs> so I didn't really overanalyze it too much, but then obviously when men's health came calling, it was like a – really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the dream for a lot of young men. Yeah, hugely. Like for me, it's something I, I never expected. No. So for you to lose 60 kilos, would you say that you were <laughs> overweight before that transformation? I would say overweight, but more so I just I just abused my body for such a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and people i don't think people correlate the way they look after themselves from a food and alcohol point of view with mm. abuse yeah you're because right because they just see it as a norm of life or work life etc eating out with clients those kind of things they don't see it as a a big thing no you're right it's very culturally acceptable yeah it's a slow i call it a slow drug yeah no you are right it's day by day you see yourself every day in the mirror you don't really see much change but mm. month by month year by year those changes can be phenomenal and not only just physically but obviously mentally and then obviously through your health as well yeah and you just kind of get stuck in that rut of thinking it, it is what it is so for you what was the point where you went right i need to do a body transformation because that's quite extreme it was one client of mine actually that um at the time when i was I was up in Scotland who um, basically said that uh, it looks like I'd put on a lot of weight over the last couple of years since he'd last, this, over the period that he'd seen me. I was like, no, not a chance. That's not me. <laughs> no. And it wasn't until I got back to my hotel that I realised that actually, no, I think he had a point. And I remember contacting, I actually contacted, um, I, I dropped a message across to two, two guys, um, both at Leicester Tigers, uh, Ben Youngs and... Uh, George Skivington, who were at Tigers at the time, and they um, they got me in touch with a guy called Matt Lavelle to say to go and see him, and uh, he'll sort you out from a nutrition standpoint. And uh, kind of that's where I did. Got straight in touch with Matt. Went down to Harley Street in London. Got my bloods done with him. Got my fat testing done with him. Got a plan put in place. And um, a nutrition plan, is it? Yeah, a nutrition plan. The, the hardest part for me to accept was the fact that I was basically pre-diabetic wow. from my blood readings. How old at that point? So you're probably looking there at, what, just touching 30. So nearly 30, pre-diabetic. Yeah. Wow. Extremely overweight, uh, huge, huge levels of body fat, uh, visceral fat. The pressure I was probably putting on my heart was immense. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, it was for me. It was a huge, huge wake up call. Yeah, um, and it re it really, really shouldn't have took getting to there to realise it, but it did, and that's due to just kind of being away with the fairies of kind of just focusing on life in terms of from a work aspect. So you really were in the, to. you weren't in the fitness industry then. No, at that point then I was doing a lot of importing work. So I was um, I was actually a sales director for a company uh, importing home furnishings across the globe and. Uh, Basically, I'd, I'd be away most weeks with work, so eating out with clients every night, just generally very unhealthy lifestyle of takeaways and eating out, and it, it, it can soon take its toll. Yeah. Well, two years. Yeah. Two years it took for someone to go, hang yeah. on a minute, and you've got loads of young, my, I had a young, my young son, obviously, he, I doted on him. He was mm. everything to me, so obviously any other minutes or hours I had spare would make sure that he was perfect. Yeah. Which is ironic because I would always make sure that he was fed and watered perfectly well. Just not nutrition, you. Nutrition, veg, everything, but not me. Wow. Okay. So prior to that, I know from talking off camera that you're actually always into sport. Yeah. It, it sounds like the lifestyle was what took a toll. Yeah. Because you were traveling, like you say. So it was hard for you to actually, but before that, you were heavily into all sorts of sports. So what were you doing as a child growing up? So as a child, my mum and dad, I'm a twin. So my mum and dad would kind of like push us both into sports heavily. And I think being a twin makes you a very, very competitive kind of person. Yeah. Because like, there's no way on the earth that my brother was beating me as much as he did <laughs> at times to time. It was, it was one of those things that 
you never want it to happen. So we did cross country, we did sprint running, we did all every sport we could do, we did. Um, I played rugby at a competitive level. Um, and then obviously through my golf, I started golf on a, on a win really through work experience. And then I kind of just literally every single day was relentless at it, playing at a national level, playing for my county, um, and then going over to the Belfry, over to pro school, et cetera, where I started to then look at the avenue of going down and becoming a pro full time. And it was at that point when I was on the tour uh, that I kind of fell out of love with the game. Mm. Uh, the cost involved of going around uh, all over, really. I went to Europe, went all over to all the courses over the UK. Wow. And you got to see some of the golfers that are now some of the biggest golfers in the world. But the level of kind of cost to that is huge yes. and I saw that burden on my mum and dad mm. um, which was one of the reasons why I fell out of love with it because yeah. the pressure that it put me under rather than enjoying the game it became a financial pressure at a very very young age so wow. that's where I kind of like went I fell out of love with golf then but still enjoyed sport still enjoyed football still enjoyed all that everything enjoyed just generally being quite fit yeah um, and for me I think it comes from a values point of view, whereas where the weight started to come on in those later years of in my twenties, going into my thirties, those later years was purely down to the fact that I didn't value my own health and well being enough mm. to put it in front of work mm. by being relentless in terms of work rather than actually trying to find a balance. And looking back, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made. But there's a backstory to all of this, which we're going to look into a little bit, because I know that work took over and you didn't value things and so on and so forth. And I don't know the timelines of this, but it just occurred to me because I know some stuff about you from talking earlier, that there might be links to earlier experiences that would have been, I don't know, um, part of you letting go of your uh, self-care or well-being it's probably nothing to do with it but it leads nicely into that part of your life which is that as a young person um, you were mentioning earlier that your your dad had a sports club yes um, the the sports club was, which became a big part of it and became a big part of my life and actually still a big part of my life now since my dad passed away he left his share of the club to my son in trust so it's still there now it's still up um it's still there it's a place where i became very very competitive at snooker and paul very very competitive at tennis because the tennis courts there so it always has that element of going back to sport again something that my dad loved yeah and um you like you say dad died actually in 2014 yes um which i know was a life-changing moment as well um but during the time that you were helping out Yep. At the, the sports club, um, there was something that awful happened to you and that probably did shape your brain in lots of different ways and gave you a, a, a kind of mindset, which I think is really helpful for the body transformation that you do now, the body transformation work with others, sorry. Um, so tell us a little bit about that time. So being at the sports and social club, I was 15, 16, and that's where I was ultimately then doing my GCSEs. I used to work at the sports club, collecting glasses as would have been acceptable back in the day there. It was <laughs> yeah. no issue with that, earning a bit of pocket money. And also as well, 
uh, I was able to then play pool and snooker as I wished, but also um, I was able to earn the money to then be able to play the golf that I wanted to play and yeah. buy little bits, whether it be clothing for golf or whether it be new clubs, etc. cetera. Um, but ultimately the biggest part of it be going to pro school would be that I had to do very well at school. Um, and I wouldn't say I struggled in academically. Um, I just needed a focus, yeah. a bit more concentration <laughs> yeah, to get me across the line and making sure that I aced my GCSEs. And um, at the time at the club, there was a, a, a guy there that was running the bar that had a very good kind of back history from what you could see of being very clever, knew his way, um, who basically wanted to help put mm. me through my GCSEs in terms of uh, almost like a private education of helping with my English, helping with my maths. Um, he also uh, managed to get me set up with my driving, uh, my driving lessons uh, the, the year after. Um, so he was very helpful. Yeah, always helpful. Oh, I know someone who can do that for you. I'll get that done whilst you're doing your golf. Don't worry about that. So it was always like, from my dad's point of view, it was like, wow, this is, this is an unbelievable opportunity for you. This person's going to do this for you, that for you, all based on their backstory, their own backstory that the, their family had a car business and they, they could help that way. And that's how it would almost seem like a sponsorship almost to me. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay, this is cool. And, um, but it quickly, it quickly changed. I would say probably changed probably two or three months into that helping journey in the sense of where I was helping out at the club. Then this gentleman would then kind of help with my tuition, et cetera, that it quickly became apparent that it wasn't one way in a sense that um, I then endured what would be, go on to be probably two, two and a half years worth of uh, physical abuse through being basically hit pretty profusely over and over again for the smallest of errors and sometimes not even errors errors that were made up to become errors where i would be hit so hard that i wouldn't even be able to sleep on my side for weeks on end due to the the damage to my ribs uh or the damage to my back um hiding wiping up blood from me being hit so hard that it's punctured areas of my body um, but they were always in places that were hidden mm. and always where I would try and cover up then to make sure that I couldn't tell anyone, uh, because if I told everyone, I'd just be lying. Um, it would be all made up and that's what I was led to believe. So he made you think that if you told anybody, basically no one's going to believe you. Yeah. Um, because he was so well respected that Absolutely, he used yeah. that. And for me, if I did speak up, it would be a case that I would be letting my dad down. Yeah. Because my dad wanted to see me become a pro golfer. My dad wanted to see me become this and this. And it would almost, for me, I felt like if I speak up, it's just going to be me being ungrateful. Mm. It's just going to be me tic-tacking. It's going to be me telling, just telling tales. So I just need to just, just ride it out. It's just life. I mean, he wasn't hitting you. He was battering you really, yeah, wasn't he? Absolutely. And it was, it was harder for me even looking back in the fact that it was actually in the grounds of the club. And whilst the club is still very, very fond to me, mm. it's even now when I've been back into the, to, to that club and I've been to the cellar and I've like, it, it's changed a bit since it's had a revamp and it's had extension stuff, but the cellar still was cellar. 
It's the smells of stuff as well, isn't it? You yeah. walk into somewhere and the, the smell, smell of, of hops from a from a barrel. Yeah. That, the, the barrel that you're leaning over that you've been hit profusely, where you've hit your head on, where you've been hit so hard you've you've literally knocked yourself out um, from the pain. So it's, bad. So bad. It, and it's one of those things that kind of always stay with you, but they can also help shape you longer term as well. So Yeah, it can it can help shape you. And I think you know, when I talk to people, especially on this podcast, but also as clients and stuff, we always find that that place where we can grow from it because there's two options. You sink or swim. Yeah. And you've definitely been swimming. Yes. You know, there's no doubt about that, which is phenomenal because you've you've done so many different things in your life. Um, men's health being one of them, actually. So this it kind of leads me into, you know, we know that later on you 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 never tell anyone. Um, he, but he, by the way, for the listeners, this guy that was doing this, you were about 15, 16. He was actually 40 something, wasn't he? Yep. He, he wasn't, uh, he was of an age where this was not excusable. He was using yep. his position of power to abuse people. Yep. And we know it was people because later on, uh, the police turn up at your door, don't they? Yeah. So my son would have been about three at the time, I think. And this was probably just before my transformation started, to be honest. Right. So and there was, I, I wondered, I couldn't remember yeah. if there was. I'm glad so that there was. There was probably just that little bit of a pause before the transformation started, in a sense that the police knocked at the door and they said that, um, do you know this guy? I was like, white as a sheet. Mm. Why it's never, never, I can still remember it now. Still remember the two police on the doorstep. Still know the police, pe the two police officers' names. Wow. Um, and I was like, yeah, but I just still couldn't think, well, what do they know? Mm. And then they came in, sat down, they went through the pro, went through what had happened, etc. And it quickly became apparent that I was his first victim of a whole host of other victims, over 130, I believe, in total, of uh, cases that were against him on it. How was he able to do that so many times? Do you know? Uh, I believe through the manipulation mm -hmm. um, of how, his manipulation of exactly what he did to me. But he had access, yeah. didn't he? He had access to yeah. lots of people through... Yeah, through various clubs that he went to, various sporting clubs. He, and it always seemed to be the targets were those that were people desperate to get somewhere in life mm. desperate maybe not from the i wouldn't say the best background but the most affluent background in terms of very wealthy parents where it wouldn't i wouldn't say it wouldn't happen but there would be less chance of it happening in a sense that you would probably end up going down the private tuition route you yes would probably be able to go down another little route but he came across as so plausible being from that private background yeah that he knew his way in he knew his way to mold it and just manipulated the parents first yes and then went after the children which is so common in people that abuse be it physically sexually or mentally they always go yeah to the place where I'm going to gain trust first, yeah. then no one's going to guess. He was, he was, he had the trust of every individual at the club. Mm. Not one individual doubted him ever. And even when the case came to light after the knock on the door and all the evidence put together, people could still not get their head around it yeah. and still couldn't quite believe that it was right. And they thought there must be something that's gone wrong here. Mm. Um, so even then you think, wow, this is a few years on now 
And yeah. This. He did a good job at manipulating a yeah. community by the sounds of yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. And not just one community, a couple of three or four communities, wherever he went, he was able to put his stamp on it and get it done exactly the way he wanted. But he didn't, when, when, because obviously the police were involved at this point and they come to your house, they realize you're the first of many. Yeah. Uh, but he wouldn't plead guilty, would he? So you then had to go to court. Yeah. Go to court and went to court uh, for all of the pre-hearings, pre-hearings, pre-hearings. And, and then we would have had to then give evidence for the trial. And on the day of the trial, he then pleaded guilty that morning. Once he'd got you all there to relive that trauma, yeah. then he decides to he plead thought, guilty. Yeah, I think he honestly thought everyone would back down. Wow. Just not doing anything. And if we did back down, then we would there would be no case. He was just pushing his luck again, weren't yeah. he? See how far he could push it. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, he, he then pleaded guilty with a view that he would get a lesser sentence. Um, wow. But uh, he still got the, I think he still got the upper rate of the sentence. Um, was released after half because he did plead guilty, mm. but um, I think he remained. He's remained on a register for the rest of his life, and was on a tag for three or four years after his release. Still, so I mean, by this point, you've got a three-year-old. You said there, yeah. Um, you know, you probably thought it was. You probably put it to the back of your mind. Uh, I'm not saying you forgot about it, but you know, you just parked it somewhere yeah my main responsibility to them was making sure that my son had the upbringing that he he would wish for the upbringing that i would want to give with no stone unturned yeah and to try and then just get on with life really but then there was a moment where your mental health started to suffer yeah absolutely yeah my my mental health suffers it was a, a breakdown in a relationship and um also a struggling area of the business. My mental health really took a toll uh, to the point where I ended up at um, what's known as the Bradgate unit uh, near where I um, was living. And uh, it was only there speaking to one of the specialists at this unit that I kind of realized that the, the, the traumas that I was going through and mm. the actual triggers of what these were kind of coming through at this part of my life now mm -hmm. so it was you'd parked it yeah parked it year, years ago years ago it was like it was gone done with now dealt with in court sentenced everything was fine no issues so so this um moment of realization that, that they diagnosed you with ptsd or, or said you were suffering from ptsd yeah and you were like, no, I haven't been in the military. I, I've not seen anyone blown up. I haven't got PTSD. And then you started to find out more about PTSD. There's PTSD and there's complex PTSD. Complex PTSD is long, uh, ongoing, long-term, often more uh, tied to abusive situations yeah. and so on. But also your dad had died. Yeah, 2014, he passed away uh, with after a 13-month battle with cancer. Um, we managed to be able to do things that, I'm glad we did do, but losing him early still is hard to accept because he was so tough that you just think, it's not going anywhere. He's going to yeah. outlive me. He's, yeah. he's literally like one of those dogs you have at home that just keep going. You think, <laughs> this dog's not giving up. And that was literally like my dad. So I never envisaged that would not be the case. Yeah. So... And also as well, his bond with my son was so, so, so special. Yeah. Um, that I knew I was my pain was also for my son. Because mm. it's like he'd lost one of his best mates. Uh. So it was a hard one in that sense. But 
it kind of just then curtailed from there really health wise because there was that one that one person you could you'd want to speak to was not around anymore. yes and then after having relationship difficulties it all just came to a head yeah just yeah all just kind of curtailed into a big snowball effect all i ever wanted to do was try and make everyone else happy and I, and ultimately it's the case of then my mental health making a, a crash dive as a result of it it just snowballed yeah from nowhere it was mind-blowing really at that moment so do you think because because to be able to park that level of abuse to be able to park the court case you know go through that re-traumatizing yourself well not not you doing it to yourself but the situation doing it to you and then losing your dad do you think like the people pleasing aspect the buying everyone everything they wanted and working harder and you know that that snowball effect was that a form of disassociation do you think was it a way of avoiding yeah Yeah, massively um thinking that you can kind of just keep emotions in check keep Mm. everything in check through through almost just being the yes man i guess yeah yeah um try not to disagree try not to do anything else uh, and that's where for me even like my transformation was very hard because there was elements of it then that actually meant that i couldn't always say yes yeah because all of a sudden i've got to flip it now and be a little bit selfish now to get where i need to get you'd never been like that before no so all of a sudden having those coaches there that told me it's okay that's the right thing to do now was hard because it's not the right thing to do. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm ungrateful if I don't do X, Y, and Z. It's not ungrateful. It's just that you're on a different path. That's interesting. So do you think that was learnt from being beaten when you made, even if the mistake was made up by the abuser? Yeah. If you made a mistake, you were going to get very badly punished. Yeah. So your job at that age, when your brain is still developing, that prefrontal cortex where analysis takes place, logic takes place emotional regulation takes place it's still developing yep. but you're being groomed and manipulated to think that everything's your responsibility therefore if you're not pleasing me i'm going to beat the shit out of you pretty much yeah and exactly. that that's what was there yeah and that that then remains there in a sense that from a trauma point of view and from me from a confrontation point of view mm-hmm. i don't like confrontation i hate the confrontation so if there's a way i can escape it even if it means i come out of it worse yeah then so be it yeah um I mean, it, it's really interesting, isn't it, how delicate our brains are. Oh, hugely, yeah. And it's so important because if we don't understand that, especially now you're a parent, you, you've you been, luckily, you've been through this, so you can really educate. I don't mean luckily that you've been through it, but you've got the information, the lived experience to really educate your son yeah. on, on, on how to spot the predators, oh, avoid it. Massively, and like... Even Georgia will, will say as well, like, Isaac, my son is known as the BFG. Mm-hmm. And it always has been. He's he's taller than me now. Wow. Because you're quite tall. How tall are you? I'm 6'2", and he's over me just now. How old is he? 15? 15. Uh-oh. Yeah. He's going to be he massive. Is, he is the gentle giant. Mm. He's so sensitive. Um, I remember him when he was at primary school on one of his reports. It was one of the teachers that put, I don't know how he does it, but he knows. Whenever he's almost like a, a dog. When you're having a bad day, he knows it and he will just come up, he will hug you, Aww. kiss you on the head, and then he'll go off. And the teacher was saying, But 
he knows I'm having a bad day. I've not even said anything. I said, because he knows. He looks at everything in such articulate detail. And I believe there's elements of that that he sees from where he's seen me grow up. And he, he looks at my body language so often. And I'm mindful of it now, especially if I'm like, I'm running really tight on time and he can see the pressure on my face or yeah. I can see slight stress because I tend to just not say anything. I tend to just, everything's normal. Everything's fine. Yeah. But he knows, I'm like, how? Man, these, these two, and because we're like two peas in a pod, it's it's hard. It's interesting because you've got a twin. Yeah. But it feels like Isaac's your twin, like your twin soul. Yes. Oh, God, yeah, he's literally like mini-me. Yeah. He is mini-me to me. He's... Wow. Yeah, He. we just, we're just clicking. It, it's, it, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, he just knows. I wish he didn't. <laughs> Do you know but, what, though? It makes me wonder because if he didn't have you sort of being there, does he know about your story, by the way? Um, so he he knows elements, but he doesn't know everything. Mm-hmm. And But I think as time goes on, he mm-hmm. will understand it more as mm-hmm. he's getting older. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Because he's at the age imp- you were. Yeah. And I think it's important he does to know the right from wrong. Uh, but it's also important to know that he also has a voice. Yes. Uh, which is the biggest thing for me because I didn't have that voice. And that's something that I still find hard now a little bit that I didn't back myself enough to be able to speak up. I didn't back myself enough to be able to stop it happening to all of the other people, which is hard to take. Um, but I think even in that situation, again, I think I still would have found it hard to have spoken up just purely because of the level of manipulation um, manipulation that was there. Um, and even now I look at it and go, wow, that's an incredible job he's done. Incredible job. You see, the problem is with these people that do this um, is that they, you were talking about Isaac there. And, and the reason I said, does Isaac know your story is because I was thinking, wow, Isaac's 15. That's how old you were. And he's really sensitive and really like open to everybody else's thoughts and, really intuitive and and that could make someone vulnerable yeah because they're so in tune that they're carrying stuff for other people um and you know these manipulative people will go for those sensitive souls Massively. they'll choose them yep. because they know they can manipulate them because they're so sensitive and they carry everybody else's concerns and pain yeah so i'm going to protect you because I'm sensitive and I, I, I can't cope with you not being okay. So I'm going to make sure you're okay by keeping your secret. Yeah. And, um, and, and actually you said you didn't have a voice. It wasn't that you didn't have a voice. It's that he manipulated you yeah. into thinking that if you said anything, your dad was going to suffer. Yeah. And, and, and actually because you were so sensitive and so kind and so loving and all the things that Isaac are, this man could tap into that yeah. and that's who they choose. And also, you know, the amount of people that I've worked with that have been abused, including me, that go, why didn't I say sooner? Or, you know, there was a situation actually for me when I when I was about 13, I was raped by a 20-year-old man. And I, I, I never felt comfortable about talking about that because I'd already been through the p- position of being sexually abused. Oh, well, you know, what will people think? That's how... Yeah. They get you. What would people think? You, you're conditioned that way. They have no perception of themselves, but they want you to make sure that you have a big perception of Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is why I'm saying to you, like, no one is ever responsible for anything other than the abuser. And and when people carry that part of themselves, the, the guilt, 
fundamentally, you wouldn't feel guilty if you weren't a good person. Yeah. People feel guilty because they're good. Yeah. You look at these people like the guy that did this to you. He doesn't feel guilt because he's not a good person. No. So no we're... level of guilt there when he was taking everyone to court day Correct. in, day out, when he was still not giving a plea and not even answering what his name was. Yes. Just because he thought... It's not my exactly. Yeah. So when 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 I work with clients, not that you're mine, but when I work with clients and they feel guilty, I say just every time you notice the guilt, just remind yourself because you're a good person. Yeah. Because good people yeah, feel guilt. Good good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. and it's something that helped me as well when I was feeling guilty. Like I only feel guilty because I care. Yeah. And if I didn't care, I'd be like the, the people that hurt people. Yeah. And that's not. I'm not saying I've never hurt someone, but I've never intentionally hurt yeah. someone. Um. And I think that's a really good um, lesson from from everybody else's experiences. When when listeners um, are, are joining us in these journeys, in these stories, and they they listen to that, and they'll hear they'll hear you, and they'll say, "Oh, mate, you shouldn't feel guilty," but they might be carrying guilt themselves. Yeah. And so it's really important to share these stories so we can have these conversations. So that people can go, oh yeah, actually, good people do feel guilty. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah, massively. Yeah. And and that's a really positive way of thinking about it. But also for your son, because he's so like you, you know, I think you're right. I think we all children in particular need to be taught how to use their voice. Yeah. Um, and how to feel confident to speak up, despite that the feelings of fear, because I'm sure that was a factor for you, was it? Hugely. I mean, for me, more than anything, the fear was everything. For me, it was like, oh, this, is, this is my dad's club. Mm. This is everything to my dad. Yeah. If I speak up now, he, he, he'll have to leave the club. Yeah. He'll have to sell his shares. He'll have to he'll, he'll walk away from it. Mm. But it'd be a laughing stock because of me telling tales. Yeah. That was my, that was, or was always my, my, my fear. Wow. And actually, the fear was actually made up. Mm. And given to you by this man, by the perpetrator, yeah. As you said earlier on, you know, you have used it to really be. I think after you understood PTSD and then you've gone through that that work, but I think even before that, whatever pain there was, you've definitely used it as a platform because aside from the body transformation business that you run with Georgia, you have had quite great success in in other businesses as well. Yeah, pretty much everything that. Everything that I set myself out at, that I would concentrate on being the very, very best I could possibly be. Through being relentless, I, I just wouldn't stop with it. But even in this point there, the one thing that I always made sure that from a physical aspect, I maintained my health. Yeah. Um, so had you had the transfer? You had had the transformation. So through through the first part of it, when I went after the, the big blue chip companies from this business, I hadn't had the transformation. Through the later parts of the transformation, uh, when I got through the transformation, that's when I had. But actually, my workload actually only got better. My actual ability to provide better results only got better. And that was only as a result of my own transformation, I believe. So, so tell me why. Um, my output became better in a sense that my routine was more nailed. Yeah. Um, I could wake up and function far better far more easier i could go for longer mm. um i basically became a marathon worker you became uh, a blooming robot so it would <laughs> just be it was just relentless i could literally work on zero sleep because 
I was so much more fitter and healthier and how I was looking after myself from a food aspect, nutrition, that I, I, I couldn't be matched for time. So like working with China, you can China at 12 at midnight, it's 7am in the China. So I was like, right, okay, I'll stay up past midnight because then China will be starting work and I can get hold of them before anybody else does. And that was my mindset in the sense that if I was working then, everyone else is sleeping. I'm getting ahead. I'm a day ahead. Every single day I'm a day ahead. This is, this is, I love this conversation, so by the way. Why was, that's why it was important to me to make sure that I was so, so finely tuned. And uh, George will say now, she's like, you still working, still, still working, still working. Yeah, I'm still working. I've got bits to do here, bits to do here. And sometimes when people, everyone else is sleeping, it's when I find myself at the best. Mm. I, I, I find my, I'm creative Cause you're then. At, yeah, because yeah. you're at peace. Yeah. You're at peace. You've got nothing around you. You've got no, you don't need to look at your phone. You don't need to check to see if someone's messages. So yeah. It's okay. Yeah. There's no worries about anything in the world other than what you're focused on in life. Yeah. And I think if you are then optimal in your own health mm. from both from a nutrition standpoint and how you look after yourself, mm you'll be primed, ready to be able to keep going. Mm. Uh, whereas if you are struggling to sleep at night because you're overweight, um, struggling with digestion, and obviously the gut is a huge one. Huge. My, my first um, podcast was about the gut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you are not able to put your digestion in your gut and everything in a good place, your mindset will not flourish not one bit and your your microbiome is is unique yeah so you've got to look after it absolutely yeah because the, the minute you stop looking after it the mm. minute you're on a you're on a cliff edge yeah yeah and, you are um even now with all the the issues that people have from a digestive tract point of view where things like ibs is always diagnosed and colitis and Crohn's. And yes so you're right over diagnosed so, so so over diagnosed where actually Let's break your lifestyle down a bit and let's try and make some changes there. Yeah. You watch how things change quite rapidly. Yes. And it, I think it's just a quick fix. Once you start breaking it down, as as you do, you and Georgia both do, actually, there's so many simple, easy steps. So many simple And I think people forget that we all have the same 24 hours. Yeah. We've all got the same clock. This reminds me of something you said a few few minutes ago or whenever it was in the other room. We were talking about don't think about the time. Look at the hours and start look at the maths in the hours. Yeah. Tell me that story again. It was a, it was a medic you were working with, wasn't it? I was it? working with a really high end doctor who is basically a top end heart surgeon doing some huge huge work um, at um, one of the major hospitals, and he was pretty much on call a lot. Um, because he was one of the only people that could do this type of surgery. And he was really struggling to try and find a routine. And we broke his routine down. And a lot of the time he would work night shifts. So he was struggling to get his food in here, his food in there, trying to find a way of training, etc. So I flipped it on its head in a sense that I said, look, let's just 24 digits on a clock. There's no numbers on this clock. Where you start your day, it's where you start your day. Where you start your day could be 6 a.m. to you. It might not be 6 a.m. to someone else, but it is to you, let's say. Mm. So 6 a.m. to you, you're starting work at 7 a.m. So you're going to work at 7 a.m. and you're going to go to 7 p.m. That's your 12-hour shift. You've had your breakfast before. You've had your lunch in between that you would get whilst you're at work quickly. And then you would get home and you'd still be able to have your dinner at, let's say, 8 o'clock. You still then have that hour spare to go to a gym mm. or to get out on that walk that you want to get out on, even if it's too dark at eight o'clock and it's not in the summer months, 
you're able to then go to the gym and still do it. And the reason why I put this to him is in the sense that he joined a 24 hour gym so he could train, but then doesn't have time to train because he said, there's just not enough hours in the day. But why did you join the gym? <laughs> well, because the opening hours meant I could go whenever. The opening hours meant that the gym also had no clock. Yeah. So whenever you went was your hour. Yeah. I don't care whether that hour is at 1am or whether the hour is at 3am or 7pm, 10pm. If it fits around your lifestyle and how you work and how you need to function to be optimal, then it will work. Mm. I said, and if you value it enough, it will definitely work. Mm. But the biggest thing that you have to get from it is the fact that you've already said in your own check-in that when you train for that hour a day, four days a week, the endorphins that it releases mentally for you mean that your week is so much more productive in other areas as a result. Yes. So now tell me why you can't find that hour in this 24-digit clock when I've just picked out the hour that you are going to go and train in. And I had no answer. <laughs> There's nothing back because he was taking the clock going, oh, can't believe the time. He was in the societal rules of time. Nine till five. He mm. was thinking nine till five, but nine till five means nothing to you. Yeah. You're not nine till five. Mm. Yeah. You, you're working 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. Why, why, why is nine till five matter to you? Yeah. Nine to five means nothing to you. Because he was probably exhausted, but I bet that was his food as well because he probably wasn't eating properly. Well, the easiest thing for him to do when he finished was 7 p.m. He'd go to the takeaway. Yeah. And he'd go, I'd go takeaway. And he said, by the time I finish the takeaway, I said, I don't want to go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I said, I don't think anyone does want to go to the gym. <laughs> so I said, what you ought to do. So when you are, when you do finish, have a bowl of oats, have a bagel, have something like that, have something light. Give get you yourself fueled. to the gym. Then go and get your takeaway on the way. And if it's yeah. still something you really, really want, but I'll guarantee you, by the time you finished your hour workout at the gym, you won't be wanting a takeaway. No. I said, you'd be wanting to look after yourself because you've already looked after yourself with the hour in the gym. Yes. So you've improved your mental health and your physical health in that hour. Why are you going to sabotage it? Mm. And four or five weeks after that, completely changed it. I like to indulge myself in these types of conversations about the body, the mind, the the business successes. It's exciting to me. And what's what's interesting is that, and I said this on George's episode, actually, which is I can do all of that in about 95% of my life. And then, as I said to her, there's a moment where it comes to my training and I'll just, it just that, that I talk about cracking the code. I cannot crack that code or I will not crack that code or there's something that's stopping me getting to crack that code. So for those people, I asked this to Georgia, I'm interested in your answer, where they, they you can see they're doing everything and they're, they're obviously prioritizing certain things. And it comes to their body and they just go, oh, I just can't do it. What What do you think to those those people that seem to understand it but just can't crack the code? It's a case of actually putting a plan in place, having a start line and a finish line that's not too far apart and keep challenging yourself monthly yeah, or even eight weekly and having those mini goals set in place because a lot of the problem that we do is we set a goal here and we set a goal there, let's, let's say, in 12 months. But you, you can't see 12 Yes, months you're right, you're right, yeah. And as a result of it, Four weeks in, you don't see much change because the goal is 12 months. It's a long way off still. Yeah. You think, I'll leave it. Mm. I'll start in a bit. Mm. Whereas if the goal has some kind of emphasis on it in a sense that it's short and sharp, you go, look, I've got to give up eight weeks of my life here to see if this works. I'll never end up being eight weeks. I'll end up being a lifelong thing. Yeah. 
because in the eight weeks you'll build it into the routine that you've already got that's very good yeah and as a result of it it then works far better what i would ask then is if someone truly believes that it's really difficult to start because this is what i want and it's almost impossible to look like you simon or whatever where do they start because we we spoke about cracking the code but but there's also a starting point to that code the starting point is that the one big thing that everybody needs in life is food yeah everybody has to eat so you can start by changing no elements of your life other than the food that you put in your mouth yeah that alone will also trigger in here changes instantly because of the food that you're able to feed your brain yeah which will also have an instant reaction in how you then approach life from day to day so if you're fueling yourself more effectively day to day without even going to the gym without even getting steps without even changing any other aspect of your life you'll already start to see changes happening because you'll feel feel a bit more awake in the morning yeah got a bit more energy in the morning and then i'll normally then go to a client and go okay good that's a great point what actually. about trying to get on some steps now i want you to take just 10 15 minutes on your lunch break Get some steps in, it'll help you mentally. I want to get you in the right place mentally. And I know the importance of food and steps, not just from a physical aspect, but actually more so from a mental aspect. Yes, yes, yes. Because if you have the endorphins and your brain feels better, mm. the brain will tell you, go with the change. And what's go interesting about that uh, is so many coaches and i know this is not you in georgia but they give out a, a sort of standard um making quite a lot of money doing it as well actually if their business is on point but not necessarily ethically correct that they're giving out a, a standard plan there's not really much bespoke in there yep. they're not really listening they might go yeah yeah i've done this a million times i've got you but they're not really listening to the person whereas i know from speaking to both of you that you are granular in your approach to each person we know single person is the same no everybody has um they may look the same but everybody has an individual areas of their life that is a value to them that isn't values of someone else's yeah life. they also have individual needs that are not maybe bigger needs than someone else has yeah and as a result of it it's far easier from our side of things to approach it with a completely custom approach mm. for every single person mm. and actually create them an avatar of where they want to be yeah but also give them the avatar of where they're at now yes for us we just want to see people happy in life and healthy mm. i hate seeing people that where they are depressed unhealthy struggling with their mental health struggling with their physical health because i've been there yeah and one of the biggest reasons was for me studying mental health was I would never, ever want to see anyone at a place like the Bradgate, yeah. which is an incredible facility. I would never want to see anyone there unless it was absolutely necessary. Yes. And if it was the last point of call. Yes. There always has to be a way to help them before they get there. Yeah. And I should never have got there, but I did. Mm. Now I need to learn and help others mm. i need to catch them before they end up there yeah whether that's a change in their lifestyle a change in their career through changing their lifestyle however that may be i will work relentlessly until i get that person to that point yeah because i do not want them to go through what i did 
Well, it comes out in most episodes, actually, and and it's it's the same with you. And it's the greatest thing that can come out of abuse is people that want to be the voice or their arms or the shoulder that they never had. Yeah, and that that is the way that you make your experience of abuse um, or grief or whatever it is that you and you've been through both. But whatever pain that you've been through, if you didn't have that voice, if you didn't have that arm, that that shoulder is to become that, then you are a cycle breaker and you are a cycle changer and you're paying it forward. And actually, there's a little bit of magic that you can sprinkle into the world. And that's so important. And once you see that magic in yourself, maybe because you've gone through that process yourself, that transformation process yourself with someone else, then then the world just benefits so much. And it is a universal energy. Hugely. And that's why ultimately, across us all, we're all trying to achieve the same goal of helping change people's yes, lives yes. for the better. Yeah. And trying to cut out of the, like you say, cut this cycle short. Yeah. And actually try and make choices now where we try and cut the threshold on this obesity yeah where hopefully further down the line it becomes a thing where it's well we're looking at uh, instead of which we spoke about earlier and i've spoke about a lot before is the uh, epigenetics the generational trauma well what you're talking about is generational growth and, and and generational healing and and when we work together as coaches as therapists as whatever your role is in teachers educators whatever we can actually be part of a generational growth, which we may not see, but we know we're part of. And that gives you that that passion, that purpose, that drive. Absolutely. Because, you know, I think for me, it's all energy. I know that true transformation comes through love. Now, I don't mean the love that you read about in the Disney books. I mean that the love for doing something or the love for being with someone or the love for learning something. And when you love, when your heart is resonating with your mind, that is the beginning of transformation. Absolutely. And that's the reason for me when I started my transformation, why then for the 10 years since then, I have studied this industry day in, day out. Mm. And that, like you say, comes through the love of it. It's heart mind. Where I'm able to then pass on that information and people say, if you know so much, why why do you then lean towards a, a mentor or another coach? because I want to keep learning. Yeah. I want to never stop learning because <laughs> yeah. there's always learning. As yeah. soon as I stop learning, I'm done in this game. Yeah. I yeah. will learn every single day. Okay. So on the final note, and this is a big question, so don't rush to answer it. If you could look back on that 15-year-old boy, what would you say to him? Back yourself. Yeah. Back yourself. Back yourself. It'd be a case of actually speaking up, mm. but then still going after what you knew was right. I'm sure people are going to listen to both you and Georgia and feel surer about taking that step, actually, because... Even now, still like a a dream. Yeah. Um, But I love it. Yeah, and and that's clear. So, you know, just to sum it up, the boy that went through some stuff that worked really, really hard, um, parked it all built up this really good reputation at work, won loads, did really, really well, um, and then hit some hurdles again, but also ended up on Men's Health Magazine, which is a massive achievement. And now you're giving that transformation to lots and lots of people. And I can't thank you both enough, but you personally no, for this thank episode, you. thank yeah. you for coming on. No, thank and you very much. Much appreciate it. No, it's been brilliant. So 
Where can people find you? I know, I know Georgia has previously given you details, but where so can they find you? We've got our GS coaching page, mm-hmm. uh, Team GS Coaching on Instagram. And then we've got our, I've got my personal page, which is GS Coaching Simon and George's is GS Coaching Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can, you can see us on there. We're also on TikTok as well as now is the craze with all of our little tips and things. So yeah, yeah great. And, but yeah, Instagram's great. the place. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, my name's Eleanor Crystal and this is The New Mind. Today's guest is Georgia Baker. Now, Georgia Baker is of GS Coaching and she's a body transformation specialist. Uh, It's really interesting, actually, this whole area for me because the mind and body, as you know, are intrinsically linked and health and fitness are so important in terms of looking after yourself, not just your mind, but your body as well. And because... For so many people, how they feel about how they look really is a big problem in terms of their mental health. I've made it a bit of a mission, really, to have people like Georgia on so we can really delve into the area of the mind-body connection. Welcome, Georgia. Hello. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. Now, one of the reasons that um, I wanted to have you on was because there is this kind of real new wave, I think, since social media um of of body transformation work but not everybody's like you and and after speaking to you on the phone um we had a lovely chat and and it kind of it was it was interesting because we were looking for the hook for the story Mm -hmm. and what came out of that was that there wasn't really much of a of a negative experience for you in childhood or anything like that um, on the phone call anyway. And I was kind of like, this is interesting. I want to talk to somebody that's in this industry because often bodybuilders, um, competitors have uh, been driven by some sort of pain. Yeah. Um, that, that whole pain for power kind of angle. And, and we didn't find that in the call. And, and I found that quite interesting because to be really determined and purposeful and what you do with your body is phenomenal. And I've been trying to crack the code for years and never been able to get to where you have. And obviously it's because you're a specialist in what you do, but it intrigues me um, that someone can get to that point with their body and and really not have that kind of early childhood trauma, that need to prove something to themselves. However, after talking to you today, actually there were a little, a few things that maybe we could delve <laughs> into today. So it's interesting. Um so the first thing I wanted to talk to you about really was about childhood. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit about your experience uh, in your first few years. What was, actually you mentioned something, sorry to but in there, about having a hole in your heart, which which we yes. didn't find out on the phone. But talk to me about the, the early bits that you So can. that was very early. So I was born with a hole in my heart, um, which I have not very much memory of at all because it was I was very small I was born with a hole in my heart and I had open heart surgery when I was nine months old wow um at the time um so I'm 33 now so at the time the open heart surgery was not as advanced as what it is now and it was a lot more risky than what it is so it was a, a massive massive operation and it pretty much the actual operation in itself went really really well but right. then after that um everything kind of went wrong that could have gone wrong in terms of the hospital had a power cut. It all had to go on. We had to be changed to a different hospital. It was um, really thick snow where the ambulance broke down in the snow and everything just kind of went as wrong as it could. But I have no memories of any of this, of course. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. I I see pictures of myself when I was a baby having had the heart surgery and it all looks very, very scary. But 
yeah, uh, the only way that that's kind of affected me, I guess, growing up was that I had a whacking great big scar down my chest that was very noticeable for other children. Yes. Um, so I wouldn't, I was, I was never bullied for it, but it was very kind of much like, oh, what's this? And I was conscious of it when I was growing up. I mean, now I've not really got the, the best top on in the world. So it's, <laughs> it's very, very faint. You wouldn't know it unless I was to point it out. But when I was a kid at school, it was noticeable that yeah. I had something a little bit different, but it would, I wouldn't say it really ever bothered me. It was, it was just one of those things. But yeah, I had open heart surgery, so I guess that's quite a... It's quite a trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, what we've found out today actually pre-recording is that there has been quite a few things that some people might label as traumatic throughout your life. But mm -hmm. when we spoke on the phone, you're like, no, no, it's been great. So there, there was almost like a sense of, I know, I know stuff's happened, but your personality is just to go, right, yeah, but what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Like quite a no-nonsense approach, actually. I think you said earlier, it's like quite a black and white thinking. This is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, And it's almost, maybe there is a slight disassociation from some stuff because on the whole, life was happy. Yeah. You were an only child, weren't you? Absolutely. Loved it. And Spoil. you had, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but actually, it, it wasn't a bad thing for you because we, we no. hit that. I've got a daughter and I said to you earlier, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, that's a shame. She's not got any siblings. And I referenced the story where I offered her an adopted brother or sister and she refused point blank. So she definitely was, you know, sure that she was fine on her own. Yeah. Um, and you're living proof that it doesn't really matter. You know, you didn't feel like you missed out at all. No, I've never, ever felt that. And say, I similar with my mom saying to me, oh, would you like to have a little brother or sister? And I was like, no. <laughs> No way. No, I like all the attention. <laughs> so no, for me, it was never a, it's never been an issue. I really love. And I think, obviously, I can't ever say because I'd, I've never been in a scenario of having brothers and sisters, but it's made me incredibly close to my mum and my dad. Yeah. So you've got a yeah. real different, so some people aren't, you know, mm. that even if they've had a reasonably happy life, they all go off and do their own thing and they don't really touch base much, but mm. you are very close. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They are my everything. And that's so important. Yeah. That more than anything, it's having those people that you can trust, rely on and, and have your back. Mm. And and you said earlier that they really supported your horse riding when you were younger and that was your love. Yeah. And, and maybe your first foray into sport, I suppose. Yeah, always. Is had my, I was very lucky. I had my own pony when I was three. And I had horses all the way up until quite recently when I've um, gone down the, the more into the fitness route and just I haven't got the time for it at the moment. But yeah, I was very had a, a very, very lucky childhood. Like I look back and which is why I think like when I initially say to you, there's not any trauma because I don't see that because it's coated by yeah. how amazing and I'm so, so lucky. I've had the best childhood. And I've got the best relationship with my parents anyone could ever wish for. Yeah. And they're still happily married. And yeah, so I, I think it's almost kind of the bits that I have gone through, I've almost repressed and forgotten about because it's been other than that. So, so yeah. good. Which is a really important point. Mm. And it's why I started off the conversation today with, we had this conversation and there was no trauma because actually what has happened is on reflection, I think just listening to you today, I'm like, mm, maybe that could be uh, seen as, as a trauma by some people. Yeah. That's not to say it's a trauma to you because trauma is actually how it manifests. Yeah. It's not the event itself. It's how it manifests in the person. And in you, you've, you've been able to um, be logical and say, yeah. yeah, there was this and that, but actually this was so phenomenal that it, it didn't matter because I got my needs met. Yeah. And I think that is essentially why you are so, 
cool about the bits that weren't so good because mm-hmm. you did get your needs met and you did feel good in that way. Um, going back to the holding the heart, though, uh, the belief is is that we hold on to everything implicitly. So mm-hmm. that the hard drive in the brain holds on to all memories, mm-hmm. even those that aren't consciously retrieved. Yeah. So it would be interesting to know if that was a bit of a driver for your determination. Here you are, a tiny little baby, holding the heart, open heart surgery, which any parent would hear and go, oh, my God, that's the worst thing to go through as a parent. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, actually, if that hole in the heart made you really determined to just... It's funny you say that as well, because now you, you say things like that. I've always been, my, my dad especially, and still to this day, he refers to me as my little fighter. Yeah. And it's always been that case of, and I, I guess because I have no memory of any of that, I, to me... It almost doesn't, when I look at the, the pictures, it doesn't seem like it's me. I don't yeah. have any remembrance of that at all. But yeah, I guess it kind of is that, well, I went through that, so. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's got a lot to do yeah. with that because, you know, your your body is in phenomenal shape. Mm. And I was talking to you and your partner, Simon, who's also going to have a, a podcast episode as well, uh, earlier about cracking the code. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it for you is is that you did have to fight. You know, mm. you didn't get the easiest of stuff. I mean, open heart surgery, especially then, because you're 33. So we're not talking about 10 years ago. Yeah. Where technology and, you know, the, the science behind it all has improved greatly. We're going mm-hmm. back. And like you say, there was a power cut. There was snow. There was all sorts going on. And you did fight through that. So that's yeah. interesting. And we, we're going to keep referring back to these points throughout the, the podcast. But... Um, the other thing you mentioned was uh, a couple of things, really, and and I did ask if you minded me saying this, so you've said it's okay. Uh, your mum was overweight when you were growing up, yep, and your dad was an alcoholic, yep. So actually, again, your needs were clearly met, despite the fact that your dad was an alcoholic. Uh, you'd had open heart surgery, and your mum obviously fluctuated in weight. So you were watching a woman. I think the reason that's relevant is you grew up watching a woman probably not be so happy with her body, yep. um, struggling with her weight. And and that led you to go into the gym with your mum, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it was actually my mum that initiated me wanting to go into the fitness industry because she'd always fluctuated in weight. Yeah. So she'd always had like a big fat loss and then put it back on, big fat loss, put it back on. And that had just been the story of her life up until actually quite recently. And I remember her eating separate meals to me and my dad. My dad's always been really lean. He looks like he's always been athletic. He's a runner still. He's 70 now and he still goes to the gym and all that stuff. Wow. Um, so he's always super, super fit. My mom's fit as well, but she's always struggled with her weight. And when she got to her biggest, it then ended with her having to have surgery on both feet. Um, she had like plantar fasciitis, but arthritis also to the point of where she was given a disability card. She couldn't hardly walk. And she had surgery on both of her feet. And then obviously she's now lost the weight and everything's okay. But when she was at her biggest, she is, my mom, bless her, is the most fashionable lady anyone could ever. Oh, oh she's just amazing. Uh, she dresses very, very individually and she's very out there. She always, always looks amazing. And when she was very big, she couldn't wear what she wanted to wear. Yeah. She's never been depressed. She would never have ever said, oh, that she was depressed, but she wasn't my mom and she couldn't wear the clothes she wanted to wear. And it did make her quite sad. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that. And then when she lost the weight again on another one of her roller coaster weight loss journeys um and then obviously she could buy, buy the clothes and stuff again and I felt like I got my mum back mm. and this was just at the time I was getting into the fitness industry and it was kind of like wow okay that change in someone's body can have such a change in 
how they feel. Yeah. And I loved that. And I was like, right, that I want to help people feel like that. Like, this is amazing. And yeah, it was that. I'd always been sporty, but it was that that actually initiated me wanting to go into the body transformation yeah. kind of route of things, seeing the difference of how it can affect someone mentally on such a big level just by losing a little bit of weight and and feeling good and being able to wear the clothes for her it wasn't the weight it was being able to wear the clothes her pain point was mm. that she couldn't be the glamorous yeah absolutely cool. yeah that's interesting because everyone's got a pain point haven't they she wanted to go to she absolutely she's never been one to spend loads of money on clothes because she's creative so she'll buy stuff and she'll make it different but she loves buying things from river island and stuff like that. absolutely loves it and the fact that she had to go to like evans and buy stuff in the plus size yes. clothes for her that was like Oh my god! And not that there's anything wrong with that, but for her, that was her pain point because yeah. she couldn't buy the clothes she wanted to wear, and that made her ups. And even now, she'll say that was she's coached by us now. My partner actually coaches her, and in her recent testimonial, she's she's obsessed with matching underwear, Ob- obsessed with matching underwear. That woman has got so much underwear, and her biggest <laughs> when she's put like her win, she's now lost nearly six stone. But the reason that she's so excited is because she can wear her underwear again. Yeah. And it's things like that. It isn't the fact that she's lost the weight. It's the clothes that she can wear. That That's so thing. cool. Yeah. I mean, I said to you earlier, I had a massive weight loss journey. I went, I lost eight stone. I don't know what that is in kilogram, but I lost eight stone in my 20s. And um, the, the issue, I never actually put it back on. Mm-hmm. Although I have now, obviously, but not to the point of like being incredibly overweight like I was yeah. before. But then I went to the point where I was wearing clothes for Mm 11-year-olds. You know, there was no, it was such a difficult journey to navigate on my own. And I I said to both you and Simon earlier, didn't I, about how things have changed now. You don't just go to Weight Watchers and continuously lose weight and get stuck. There's so many ways now that you can reach out and get, I mean, after speaking to you both today, like really structured, supportive, in-depth help Mm -hmm. that, it's a different world to when I was losing weight and yeah. and, and, and also for your mum as well like she's obviously had the right support now yeah but it's interesting that people go on that roller coaster of putting it on and getting it off and it's because the the diet industry is inherently flawed yeah absolutely it, you know it's a multi-billion dollar industry for it's a so reason. confusing like you have it's the most common thing we'll hear when people come to us is I've tried everything yeah I've tried everything I've tried Weight Watchers I've tried the 5-2 diet Cambridge diet whatever it is they've literally tried everything and they think they're broken and they just can't do it yeah and it's actually just a case of well no the reason that you you've not been able to do it is because it doesn't fit around your lifestyle yes. you don't enjoy it and that's that's really it and people take such a, a harsh approach to it because they come from a place of they're desperate they're so unhappy that they'll do anything to change that then they just go like absolutely all guns blazing and then it's that pendulum well of, the the scary one now and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say is this Ozempic mm, yeah <laughs> I mean I was looking into this just out of interest and there's a risk of thyroid cancer, mm, but yeah. people are injecting this into their bodies, aren't they? Yeah. Now, I don't know a lot about it. If Maybe if you're medically trained or if you really know what you're doing um, and you can do it for a short period of time and you get the, the, the fine. Like, I, I'm not here to judge, but what I do think is that you can buy it if you're me. Mm. And you could go onto the internet, you could buy this stuff, you could start injecting yourself and not really have an understanding of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, those kind of crazies come and go, don't they? Um, and and I guess if you're not being supported correctly, this is, again, one of the reasons I wanted to have these conversations, is that it ends up for some people, especially if there's disordered eating or eating disorders, that, that you could end up in quite a scary place with the 
availability of these and even the Cambridge diet I've got to tell you I'm not a fan no <laughs> um, in fact I'm not a fan of diets full stop no because from, in my experience it, it led me down the path of eating disorders yeah and um, I was saying to you earlier, wasn't I, when I was very, very big, I was actually really cool with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way my body looked. So obviously I wanted to change it, but I felt good in myself as a person. By the time I was in that anorexic zone, I genuinely lost all sight of everything and became anxious. I didn't want anyone to look at me. I, I was obsessed obsessed with food yeah obsessed with starving myself mm -hmm. feeling good from starving myself and that is one heck of a bad situation to get yourself into so when I look at you know the likes of you and Simon and and I see your bodies and I see uh, especially after talking to you today like how integrated you are as a couple with your business but also different as individuals and how you blend so beautifully together it's phenomenal now. Mm. And if you find the right person, like like you say, your mum is in a totally different space now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really interested in, in your part of this journey as well, because you, you um, start going to the gym with your mum. And, mm -hmm. and actually, you said at the time, it was of a time where the thigh gap was a thing. It was all about being super <laughs> yeah. skinny. And, and actually, even for you, this journey was not straightforward. No, not so at all. tell me about your journey into the world that you're now in. So when I I've always been sporty, always done like on all the sports teams and stuff at school. I've always loved that, and always been able to eat whatever the hell I wanted. Never didn't even know what I weighed until I was like probably 13, 14, maybe even older than that. I don't even know. Can't remember the first time I stood on some scales. Was not bothered by it at all. I'd always been slim. Never had a problem with my weight. And started going to the gym with my mom, really through no other reason, nothing to do with aesthetics. It was just because my mom was going to the gym and I, I liked doing physical activity. And I then, <laughs> the funny story is, I did a couple of like half marathons, which was cool. Just don't really know why, just something to work towards. Um, because my mom had done them as well. And then my mom bought a road bike. And I thought, that's cool. I want a road bike. Don't know why. But I got a tax rebate not very much money. I bought myself a road bike. And at the time I was being coached by a guy who I still see now. And uh, he said to me, why don't you do a triathlon? Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do a triathlon. I've got a bike. I might as well do a triathlon. So <laughs> I got into doing triathlons and I did do triathlons from probably the age of 18 up to about, I did my last one when I was 27, but I was actually like really competitive up until the age of like 21, 22. Um, and I don't know. I kept like doing these triathlons. I did enjoy doing them. But then I think as I got a little bit older, it was then you do start to go out a little bit more, you're eating a little bit more. And it, it, then this like thing started as, well, I'll just keep doing loads of exercise because then I'll stay slim. And I had this relationship then started building with I was doing the exercise to burn calories rather than because I enjoyed it. Yes. That then started, but it was not real. It wasn't like a real, I can't really remember it starting. It just kind of did like it just crept in. And then the actual issues then started with um, my boyfriend at the time competed doing men's physique. I'd never even heard of anything to do with like bodybuilding or anything. I'd never interested in it at all. And I went to watch this bodybuilding show and I was like, oh, these girls look quite good. And I kind of like talked myself out of it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm going to carry on with triathlons. Went to watch a couple more shows and I was like, actually, do you know what? These girls do look really good. Like I want to do this. Um, and then I started weight training. 
And the reason that I stopped doing triathlons was because I started having problems with my heart again. Ah. Wasn't to do with the hole in the heart, but they thought it was. So I was having tests on that. They told me you can't do any cardio exercise until we've got to the bottom of it. So I was like, okay, cool. So I just started weight training. Yeah. Got the all clear from my heart and it's just arrhythmia. I've still got it now. It's fine, but it's not going to cause any issues. So carried on weight training, but I started to see my body change. So I didn't want to then go back down the triathlon route because it was like all of a sudden I'm starting to look leaner. I'm starting to look more defined. I'm starting to look more athletic. I liked it. So I continued down that route. And then the the, the reason that my actual issues started was after the first bikini competition. So I decided I was going to do a bikini competition. And this is why whenever I have someone come to me that wants to compete, I will ask them a lot of questions as to why they want to do it. Yeah. Because I did my first one for all of the wrong reasons. And it was that that started my issues off. And I literally just did it because it was, I was told by people, oh, you won't be able to do that. And, you know, look how dedicated such and such is. And it was just those little things that's like, well, I'm dedicated to, I can do that too. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do it. And I literally just decided on one day, I was like, got the calendar out for the shows. And it was like, right, I've got 11 weeks till this show. I'm doing it. Wow. And um, I got myself a coach because although at the time I knew what I was doing, I didn't know enough to put myself through a, a competition prep. So I got myself a coach, did the, did the show, didn't really enjoy the comp prep at all. I was not prepared for what it was going to entail. I'd never been on a diet at that point I'd never even counted calories never done anything like that wow so I got given this diet plan I'd gone from being used to eating whatever the hell I wanted and just doing a lot of exercise all of a sudden everything was very calculated everything was very strict and I did it didn't enjoy it at all I remember getting off stage and thinking thank god that's over I never want to do that ever again yeah. show me some food I've had enough this is it I'm starving and I was not prepared for the aftermath of the show at all and I then I'd been so hungry for so many weeks I was then like right eat 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 put weight on quite quickly I didn't I've never ever been overweight I just my weight went from being stage lean to being back to how I was before within a matter of like three or four weeks and I felt massive yeah and I had this like insane feeling that I was working in the gym at the time as a personal trainer I was really newly qualified and I had this insane fear of that everyone was looking at me thinking, well, she's let herself go. Look, she did that show three weeks ago. And now look at her. You'd never had that feeling before? No, never, ever. Wow. Never, ever. And I had like this insane, didn't want to look at myself in the mirrors in the gym. I just felt massive. Even though I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't fat, but I felt huge compared to what I had been like. And yeah, it was that kind of, I think it was because other people had commented as well. No one said anything about me putting weight on. There was never, ever a remark on that. The remarks were when I was really lean as to the, oh, my God, you look amazing. Look yeah. how good you look. Are you going to stay looking like this? Oh, you look amazing. And it was just so glorified as to what I look like that it made me feel like what I looked like before was not good enough. It's so interesting. So um, how old were you when that happened? I would have been 24. It just makes me think about all the kids all the kids that have been overweight because mm-hmm. one of the things that are, I was probably not overweight until really heavily overweight anyway I was a normal looking child until I was sexually abused mm-hmm. then I started to put weight on and we sort of understand that now a bit more and the bullying I mean it, I was quite resilient to it yeah actually to be honest and I I kind of handled it quite well on the external yeah but actually internally it, it was awful mm. and so you could understand if that's happening to you as an adult when when you know by all accounts your brain is fully developed if that's happening to a child yeah. the damage that that does to their self-perception which obviously you would probably see yeah a lot of in your work it goes to show that 
actually, if if you believe people are commenting on your body, even if they're not being horrible, just people looking at you differently, commenting on what you look like, mm-hmm. can be enough as well as your own perception. And I do think it's why I reference uh, my weight loss journey is that weight loss, an incredible amount of weight loss, especially if it's quickly can mess with your your perception of yourself can't it yeah absolutely so the fact that you ask a lot of questions and if someone was doing comp prep you would be there understanding fully yeah why is it that you want to do this because what i really always like to get to with my girls it's very very common where i'll get females come to me they've been through a breakup yeah and they want to sort themselves out because it's like they want to get back at them they want to look really good they want to show them what they're missing like and it's revenge like, that that's okay because it's a driver as to why you want to do it but that's gonna it's essentially going to lead you to a place of not feeling great yeah it should always come from a place of that i want to do this because i want to do it yeah rather than because you want to prove somebody wrong because that was completely what led me down the wrong path of doing the bikini show to prove people wrong whereas then the ones that I've done later on in my life after I've been through the all the issues with food and come out of it the other side I've done it because I wanted to do yeah. it and then therefore there's been no issues yeah I've come off the back of it completely fine that's so important and I think um it's hard to do something for yourself we mentioned the pain point earlier Mm. didn't we it's hard to just do it for yourself i think we do need the driver and it is often pain yeah that drives us to want to do it but what i like about what you're saying is um i think as a woman as well and 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 i don't think there's anything wrong with having a male coach or if you're a man having a female coach that's not what i'm saying but i think you as a woman understand Mm -hmm. the process of going through that bikini thing and then feeling the way you did so you can actually say psychologically this is going to mess you up yeah this is going to make you think you're fat when you're not Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to really work with me on that which i think is such a good um, a way of, of being able to go into it yeah absolutely be prepared you're going to think you're fat when you're not mm-hmm. and does that happen to a lot of people do you think yeah it even happens like um not not necessarily with uh, just doing like bodybuilding we a lot of the time we'll set our clients goals of doing photo shoots yeah and a lot of our clients have huge fat loss transformations like huge and they'll come in and they'll have like a six seven eight stone weight loss They'll do a a photo shoot. They're extremely proud of their photo shoot. And then obviously after the photo shoot, then it kind of sometimes will continue depending on where they are in their journey with more fat loss, if that's what they want. But sometimes it's going into then maintenance. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when they've not got that focus anymore on losing weight and the scale weight is then maintaining, their physique's maintaining, they can struggle with that a lot because they've been so focused on the last months or years even of losing weight that then all of a sudden their weight's not dropping and they feel almost like their purpose has gone. And if they put like a pound on, it's like the end of the world when actually it's like, no, this is just normal life. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, but it is, yeah, I think you can become so hyper-focused on what you look like. Yes. And we, that's where we have to take the focus away from that. And it's okay to have like aesthetic goals. Obviously as transformation coaches, that's what we specialize yeah. in. But there's a lot more to it than just focusing solely on what someone looks like. So I'm going to say to you, I've trained on and off. I've yeah. done the gym mm-hmm. and I do the gym. Um, I've got some stuff set up at home. Yeah. I've got all the kit except for, car- well, I have got cardio kit, but it's not very good. Um, I had a weight loss journey. Um, my my issue was always about once I'd lost the weight and gone through a similar thing to you now, I've lost all the weight. Now I've got an eating problem. Yeah. Um, but it's probably tied to other things as well. And then I get to a point where um, I have some surgery. I'm out for a while. Mm-hmm. And and it kind of makes me going into training difficult again. But even when I'm in it consistently, mm-hmm. 
I, 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 I feel like I work hard. Yeah. And I've maintained a good body shape for a very long time, 45 now. So a very long time, started to put a bit of weight on with perimenopause, getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, there was always an issue with food because if ever I trained and they upped my calories, mm -hmm. again, I'm, I'm impatient. So this yeah. is control. Up my calories. I'd get to some, some weight loss, slow weight loss, because I was never heavily overweight in the first place. But I could never get to your position. Mm -hmm. And I'd just be like, why can I never get there? Why can I never get there? And then I might have to, you know, push a bit harder or do mm -hmm. a bit more. And then time's an issue. It's like, well, I haven't really got time to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do this. I, I know I'm going to be tired. And all those things start coming in. Yeah. And then it's a case of, right, okay, I'm going to do this. But I'm still not getting the results. Mm -hmm. And this thing of failure and, and impatience. Mm -hmm. And I think as I'm talking to you, I'm hearing perfection as well. Yeah. Because I'm doing all of this and I want it to be perfect now. Mm -hmm. And it might take me two years to actually get to my idea of perfect if, if we're being realistic. Yeah. Um, but then something might happen like you have surgery or something else might happen like someone dies or something else might happen like you've got to have a week off because there's a massive flood at the clinic or whatever it is. Yeah. And it keeps taking you off that track. And and it's that. It's that that inability sometimes to maintain that consistency or to maintain that mindset or to maintain, and it's coming from perfection. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone like that, where, where, and there'll be a lot of people listening that have had that similar experience that they are dedicated, mm -hmm. they are consistent, but they can't crack the bloody code. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I've got maybe 95% of everything I need, but there's that 5%, I can't crack it. Mm -hmm. and, and I say the word can't, because it feels like that at the time. Yeah. With those people that fit into that middle category, so they're not heavily overweight mm -hmm. or heavily underweight, they're not um, they're not sports people, but they're, they're the middle people that want something, but they can't crack that bloody code. Mm -hmm. What do you do with those people? You can get to your goal, but it's going to take longer than it would do someone like me when I'm on comp prep, and it's just that tunnel vision of that means more, more to me than anything. And whatever else suffers in the meantime, so be it. I'm just going to get mm. to that goal. Whereas if I want to get to the goal, but I want to go for cocktails each week and I want to do this and I'm running a business and I've got kids and I've got other things to manage around it, that's going to take a little bit longer. And I think sometimes it's that comparison thing where yes. people will look at other people and they think, and we get it in our coaching team all the time. We've got a lot, a lot of clients. And even when we post on our socials transformations, Sometimes even our own clients can struggle with that because they'll see, oh, why has so-and-so lost 10 kilos in 10 weeks? And I've only lost four. It's huge, that is, Yeah, isn't it? and it can kind of be, but their journey's completely different to yours. It's not that you're less dedicated. It's not that you don't want it enough. It's not that you're broken and something's wrong with you. It's just that, okay, maybe they're at a time in their life when they can 100% dedicate something to it. And maybe you've got a different area of your life where you've got the kids and you've got the business and other things. People have different things going on. And theirs can take them longer. And it depends on the person's personality as well. Like I say, I'm very much a, I, I'm impatient yeah. and I like to get things done. And once I've got a, a vision in mind of where something needs to be, it's literally like I'll just, I would say, refer to myself as a wind up toy. It's like I get wound up and just let go and off I go towards my goal. Yeah. But then not everybody's like that. But yes. then people like my friend will look at me and say, why am I not like you? Yes. Why am I, why can you get in that shape? Why can I not do this? But then me doing that is more important to me than the cocktails and the traveling. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's not saying that my way's right and her way's wrong, but going for cocktails makes her happy. Whereas working on my business and getting my body in incredible shape makes me happy. Yes. It's so, so it's, true. It's just that it's that, that, that's sort of more value on my list than 
other things for me going out I can if someone said to me right that's it you've got no more meals out and no drinks for the next six months because you've got a show that's okay it doesn't really bother me the thing that I struggled with most after my last show which was March last year uh got very very lean from my show and I was like right okay I'm not gonna be affected by anything after and I remember me and Simon had gone to train at a gym and when I do my heavy lifts I wear a weight belt yeah. and it's one with a double buckle on it and it normally sits on the fourth hole down as it would do today when I'm at like my regular kind of healthy size uh, when I get stage lean, it goes on to the last hole and it's loose on the last hole, which I do like when I look at it now, I'm like, how the hell is it even? I don't even know how it gets down to that. Um, but after my show last year and my weight belt then went down hole, it went down another hole, it went down another hole. And then I did have a spell in the gym where I was just like, oh my God, oh, I'm putting the weight back on again. But it was instantly like I had that moment of feeling uncomfortable. But then it was like, no, 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 no. I, I am not going back down that road again. And it was like, right, George, come on, stop it. Sort yourself out. You're not fat. You're not going back. You're just healthy. Like, stop being silly. And I just have to kind of reason with myself and not allow myself to go back down that road, which is, I think, like when I say, like, oh, I've not had any trauma in my past life. It's probably just actually the fact of that you I don't let, allow yeah. myself to realize actually what's happened. Yes, that's so, so key. And I'm glad you said it because... I think most people actually, we, we, I'm not taking away from severe trauma here, but most people have had experiences that have shaped who they are. Mm -hmm. And although you've adapted really well, yeah, I think the thing is that would have manifested in a way at the time that your way of coping with that is to go, no, nope, it's not happened. Mm -hmm. It is to shut it down. Didn't happen. Yeah. I'm fine. Crack on. Yeah. And there is an avoidance perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. In that behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and I think from the mind perspective with the work that I do, I would look at that and go, okay, that's interesting. Not necessarily a bad thing now, mm -hmm. but let's reflect on that to work out how you perhaps can be much more um, uh, set and structured without being avoidant. Yeah. And I think that's where you are right now, isn't mm -hmm. it? You're not avoidant, you're set and structured. Whereas before you were avoidant. Yeah. Um, because you, you mentioned some difficult relationships. Obviously there was um, difficulties, I would imagine, from having an alcoholic father, even if mm -hmm. it wasn't that he was a, you know, an angry alcoholic. Or a no, and see, and that was like a weird thing as well, because my dad, although he was an alcoholic, nobody ever would have known. Yeah. Because he wasn't, what people think an alcoholic High is functioning is yeah, yeah he was still holding a job down like nobody knew about it apart from me and my mom like nobody knew and he was never abusive he was never loud he was never he was never what you would imagine a drunk person to be like yeah. he would just he would hide alcohol and then my mum would find the alcohol then that would cause an argument because why are you hiding things from me why are you lying yeah um and it was that that was more of an issue with the fact of the my mom, I'm very, very, very much like my mom. And she, when she would find out with stuff like that, it was just like World War Three, And yeah. she would just kick off because like, why am I being lied to? Like, I'm not having this. But yeah, he was never what people would imagine an alcoholic person to be like. Yes. At all. Um, and he's actually now been sober for over 20 years. Wow. Which is really, really good because my mom was literally like, look, you sort it out or I'm, go I'm gone. I'm not having this anymore. Why did he drink? Do you know? Um... <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'll have to ask him like on a little bit more of a detail, but he, he had quite a difficult upbringing when he was a child. Um, and I think he was brought up as a Jehovah's witness. He left the religion to be with my mom. Interesting. And yeah, I think he, he, it just kind of started as just a regular guy going down the pub. Yeah. And then obviously my mom used to be like a proper party animal and 
my dad was not he was just someone that just went to the pub and then I think it was a case of that I was kind of born and my mum obviously then was like the most dedicated mum ever never went out drinking never did anything and she would then get annoyed at my dad for drinking so it's probably one of those where actually if my mum would have just carried on drinking nothing probably would have ever been an issue yeah but it was the fact of that my dad was drinking my mum would get annoyed about it so then he would hide it so then that caused an issue um And then I think it just became more of an issue for my dad to the point of where he would then go, he used to buy gin from the local co-op and he would then start buying it from different co-ops so that it didn't look suspicious buying it from the same one. So he was thinking about it. Yeah. So it then became like more planning stuff to try and hide it from my mum. And it was then it was the hiding of the stuff that then became more of the issue than the actual drinking I was going to say the behaviour, yeah. 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 yeah, and my mum will not stand for being made a fool of. Yeah. So then it was just the case of, right, well, you sort it out. I think it was I got old enough of to be, my mum will openly say, which would, looking back, be the wrong thing to do because they're so happily married now. Mm. If it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have been together. She would have left. But she stayed because of me, and he was a good dad. He was a very, very good dad, and That's he still is. That's a lot is. of marriages, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. lot of marriages. Not that they're not happy in the end, but... Mm. When when you go through those 30s and 40s and you've got a kid or children and life's busier, yeah. it's challenging. Yeah, massively. It is challenging. Massively. They're so happy together now. But yeah, it was just a case of you sort it out or I'm going. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember him going, he saw a lady called Jane, who he's absolutely eternally grateful for that helped him. He was just so in denial about the fact that he'd got an issue because he wasn't drunk yeah so to him it wasn't an issue yes but then actually when he went to see Jane and Jane actually like pointed out to him but like you're hiding things this is affecting your marriage you're going to lose your wife like you this is if if you're that obsessed with alcohol and it's making your wife upset and it's making your daughter upset and you can't stop that's you've got a problem yes because if there wasn't a problem you just stop and then that would kind of became apparent to him that actually yeah I have got a problem yeah. and he did just stop and he went and he saw her I can't remember how many years he's seen her for um but he hasn't been for years and years and years now but yeah it was he just didn't realize actually how much of a problem it was and this is important because although again it's not a massive part of your personality now it would have shaped you a little bit mm. because the way the brain adapts especially before the brain's fully developed the way the neurons fire and wire together and the way that neuroplasticity works is based on your experiences mm-hmm. uh, again you know you are determined and I think that you looked at that maybe and went I'm not gonna let myself get to a point where I'm out of control and you don't have to define something as trauma you don't have to be told well actually you have had trauma you could just look at your experiences and say oh actually I am quite uh, interesting as an individual because I've had these experiences this is where I am now I'm building the business I'm I'm a go-getter you know I'm a no-nonsense kind of female I know what I want I'm going to get it and you are different Mm. not everybody's like you Mm. and I think this is why I find people so fascinating because they don't even know themselves (laughs) that they're so interesting And I sit and talk to so many different people. I mean, it's literally thousands now. Mm. And in each person, I've gone, wow, that's pretty magical, you know. Mm. And it's not disingenuous when I say that. It's completely genuine. Like each and every single person has something in their life that has made them unique. Mm. And that is magical. It's even like when I think back to things of um, my my nana, my mum's mum, who was a huge, huge part of my life. Uh, She passed away lung cancer. Mm. years ago I think I think I was I don't know I think I was about 13 um but she was my mom's best friend 
absolutely like they idolized each other oh. and she was really really poorly with cancer she went into loros and i remember it like it was yesterday the phone call it was about five o'clock in the morning and i knew i knew what had happened yeah. when the phone call happened and yeah my, i heard my mum on the phone and i knew my nana passed away i knew it and um i remember going into my mum's room and she said oh nana, nana's passed away and i was like oh, i know I had no emotion to it and it wasn't that I wasn't upset because she was she was basically like my second mom like yeah. I spent like probably more time with her than I did with my mom but it was almost like I'm so matter of fact about things that I just didn't even like process it yeah I remember I don't know just this weird sense of like calmness and I think probably because she'd been so poorly as well and it was expected for it to come it was just like she's not in pain anymore yeah um, but I remember going in and sitting with my mom and my mom saying like what happened and it was a school day do you want to go to school you don't have to go to school and I was like no I want to go to school and I went to school and I just kind of like carried on like as if it had not happened and I, it wasn't that I wasn't upset about it I was but it's just I, I don't know I had that kind of just matter of fact way of dealing with it and I still think about it now I still think about her and like she was just absolutely amazing did you grieve at any point did it hit you at any point or was it no not really yeah your brain just naturally does this kind mm. of I knew this was coming yeah I wonder actually uh do you did you and do you ever if you know something bad's going to happen do you ever kind of mentally prepare yourself yeah so do you think you've done that <laughs> yeah You'd already meant, you knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. I mentally prepared myself for this. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You might have actually done the grief, and this happens a lot with grief. You might have done the grief pre mm -hmm. her dying. Yeah, because it's weird you say that because it's it's been like it through through anything. And I think I, I actually get quite anxious about stuff. Like it's it's almost weird. Like I have this weird, and I think it's like a female thing where you know something's going to happen. And I'll almost go through the process of, of it happening before it's happened. Yes. <laughs> Even with like, being younger like with like relationship breakups and stuff like that I've never ever been heartbroken like absolutely distraught because it's almost just like oh it's happened and it's really wow. strange like that it's you know people be like oh, are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm okay and it's like I genuinely am okay and I'll get upset I do get upset about things like if god if, if Simon was to say to me today that he was leaving and it was completely out of the blue and I was completely shocked I would be devastated because you haven't been able to prepare for it yeah. but if I can see if I can see patterns in things and I know something's going a certain way it's almost like I have mentally processed that before it's happened and then yes. it's just like I saw that coming I know it, it does feel like you have a unique ability to be able to assess the situation risk assess it but work around it and not let it stop you. Mm -hmm. That is definitely how I would describe you. Mm. And if you bring that to people that can't do that for themselves, you know, but be it emotionally or be it, it physically, actually that's a very valuable tool for someone like me that, that wouldn't be able to necessarily look at myself as mechanically. I'm, I'm more in my own head, like, why can't I do it? Mm. You'd be able to say, look, these are the mechanics here. These are the risks. These are the things, the hurdles we need to go over together. Mm -hmm. But I've got you and this is what we're going to do. Once you have that blueprint of who you are and who you want to be and you stop allowing yourself to be the, I can't because of this, this, this and this, mm. it, it has a massive, massive impact. Because you have achieved quite a lot in terms of that bikini competitor situation. In terms of your body, what are your goals? What do you still want to do? For me, it's just a case of, I just want to feel good all the time. Yeah. I want to feel good all the time. I want to have a healthy relationship with food. I want it to be so that if Simon was to come home and say, which would be lovely if he did, <laughs> right, we're going to Dubai tomorrow. I'd be like, oh, cool. And I'd not be thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to put a bikini on. Like, I want to just be in a case of that 
I am a role model to my clients. I think it's very important yeah. that you practice what you preach and you stay in shape if you're, you know, telling other people how to be in shape, that you should also be Absolutely. in shape. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, for me, I don't really have any massive goals in a sense of like, I want this to be bigger, I want that to be bigger. It is just a case of now where just want to be happy in my body and feel good which I do and it's just yeah. continuing that yeah which is beautiful really because mm. that's what we were all hoping for at some point isn't it to yeah. find that level of comfortable with our body healthy yeah. longevity as well I know everyone talks about longevity and um I kind of think that is important because longevity isn't about it for me anyway living long mm-hmm. it's about being the best that I can be for as long as I can mm. if I get killed by a bus or whatever then I get killed by a bus. But I think if I'm 96 and I can still go for a nice long walk, yeah, that's what I mean by longevity. And I think that's what most people want, isn't it? It's just quality of life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will notice as well that although, like, obviously I'll talk about, like, my I'm very, very lucky in a sense of that I've never really had any massive mental health struggles or anything like that. But I 100% notice that if I don't move my body properly and I don't eat properly, my mental health does struggle from yes. it. So it's one of those where I can clearly, clearly, because I'm always in pretty much near enough always in a positive state that I notice very evidently to me when I'm not, yes. I can correlate, right, am I feeding my body properly? Am I moving my body properly? Um, I have got a condition with my spine where I have um, pain in my neck quite a lot. And that will kind of correlate as well. So I'll notice that if I'm not eating properly and training properly, my mental health does take a bit of a decline. I'll feel more stressed. Then my muscles in my yeah. neck tighten up. I'm in more pain and it's this kind of like vicious cycle. So for me, it's a case of that I know that if I look after myself and I eat and I train properly, that I feel good. Well, actually then on a final note, um, I'm thinking about the, the sort of people that would be in pain, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned pain, because we seem certainly nowadays uh because we are more sedentary in our in our work and the way the human has evolved is is we are not the same as we would have been even 40 years ago to be yeah. fair because everyone's got cars and no one really walks anywhere anymore um from the point of pain what would you say to those people who are starting a journey of fitness and, and may end up in front of someone like you or simon eating better definitely definitely helps from an inflammation point of view it definitely helps i notice a difference if i'm not eating properly if i'm not drinking enough and if i'm not sleeping well then it will feel worse so your fundamentals yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so i guess for those people that feel like well i'm in chronic pain Mm -hmm. i can't do anything about this actually let's look at your food yeah look at your movement Mm -hmm. look at your hydration look at your sleep and then we'll look at some movements yeah. that will help to support the areas of your body that need support. Just to make sure that before we end this, that people know where they can find you. Because mm-hmm. um, I know you've got a good following on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, where Where would you want people if they're hearing this and they think, Do you know what, I really like the sound of Georgia. She's, she's my kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Where would they find you? Well, Instagram's probably the best. Um, so you could find me or Simon at GS Coaching. We've got GS Coaching's got his own Instagram page. And then you've got Georgia at GS Coaching, Simon at GS Coaching. Um, so you can drop a special on there. But we have also got a website, teamgscoaching.com. So you can find us on there as well. And you've got your application forms on there as well. Amazing. And you can be from anywhere. You don't have to be, because yeah. you're Leicester-based, We've got clients you? in America, Australia, everywhere. Brilliant. So that that is very useful to know. Mm-hmm. I might even be talking to you myself afterwards. <laughs> um, and I think that I, what I really want to do is thank you, actually, because th- there were some moments in this that I wasn't sure 
um, when we first spoke that that would come out. Mm-hmm. And I think you've been really honest about, you know, several factors of your life, including your dad, including your own journey with food, mm-hmm. which um, I'm sure you're used to talking about because you're talking to your clients about it. And I just want to say thank you for that because it's really important. And I say this in every episode pretty much, but sharing stories, mm, it massively. allows us to connect Um and I think on on things like Instagram and and, and things, it's great because I, I love Instagram. I, I know people don't like social media sometimes, but when you listen to the story, you get more context. Yeah, and you get to hear so much more information mm-hmm. about the person. You might see five minutes of them on Instagram, and you might have to watch Instagram for quite a long time to put the pieces together. But mm-hmm. I feel like, for for me anyway, I feel like I really understand who you are, mm. and I feel there are moments within that that were quite light bulb for me yeah and I I think I'm hoping well I know that people will have that that feeling as well so I do appreciate coming on today thank you so much Georgia thank you it's been brilliant no you're welcome